So <clears throat> we asked a lot of fans to describe VIR in one word. What would your one word be? God, one word is so hard. Um, growing. If I had to pick one word. God damn it, you had it. What would you, what do you think some of the words we got were? I don't know, fun, you know. What if uh, I told you that at least remote? a handful of people said home? Yeah, I'd believe that. I'd believe that. What if Spencer Pompelli gave the most Spencer Pompelli word ever? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> is, is that, see, he knows. Yeah, that's Spencer. Yeah. I could see it's him. Correct. Okay, do you want to be like a little bit passionate? Thank God he didn't say. Thank God he didn't say technical. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And now for dinner with racers, presented by Continental Tire, with your hosts Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. Welcome to Dinner with Racers. Dinner with Racers. This is a special episode based off of our brand new Amazon Prime series. We are on Amazon Prime in a six-part documentary series. So when we went to VIR, we sat down with anybody who's anybody that has anything to do with VIR. So with all that extra footage, we thought, hey, there's some pretty big VIR fans out there. Let's give them the goods. We've been fortunate to meet a lot of track presidents in our years of doing this show uh, but Kerrigan Smith is definitely one of the standout people because while we know a lot of track management can't name very many who would drive a tractor drive the forklift move the porta potty if they have to move it he's just a guy that's just sleeves rolled up gets it done on to the next thing and will do it with a smile on his face and not call any attention to it Kerrigan has the cool background similar to what I did with racing I started out sweeping the floors uh, doing fuel or changing tires, whatever it takes, and uh, worked with a lot of race teams, one of which was based out of VIR, and eventually that led towards his career with the with the facility. So, hardworking guy, also has time for everybody, has, a, has an ear for everybody, just a really unique person that I think the sport needs more of. And just like every other interview we're doing here, we couldn't put it all in, so we wanted to give him sort of a more extended cut in, uh, in this episode. So here's some more things from Kerrigan, catered by Aunt Millie's Pizza in Milton, North Carolina, which is right next door. I had pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I. They also made a specialty chicken sandwich because they understand recurring jokes. Nailed it. Kerrigan Smith. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. How's it over there? That good. It's good. You guys feel very far. You sound very far away. Uh, I feel like I'm sitting right next to you. Mm. <laughs> we drove so far to be here. Yeah. How, how you doing? Sean <laughs> had to play. He had to do the hospitality thing you basically had to do today, but for Magnus's guests. So like, literally, yeah. we I literally were filming like, in the paddock, and it's like yeah, hey. we went like we were out on track by like eight thirty, shooting stuff set up you know people coming in cars and i literally was like walked into the magnus trailer put the camera down and then straight to making howdies as uh, <laughs> as your dear boss would say as connie says yeah. which she spent all day doing yeah, yeah. we so, have a good story about you yeah. yeah go ahead do it. <laughs> so yesterday we're waiting for the rain to die down 
and uh, we were trying to get fan interaction, like just asking him, like, why do you come here, and is this your favorite spot? We talked to Bill Terry, who has the number one pass, like t- yes. season ticket pass, and, and his buddy Douglas was next yes. to him, number two. And yeah. they So the Paddock Club <laughs> is erected mm-hmm. in their spot. Oh, so that was a big thing, and right? It's, it's a very big thing. <laughs> it's, it's a very big thing for him. So yes. we're over in that area. It starts raining. Actually, the two guys fired off the back straight, and that told me that it's probably pouring on the back straight. Yep. So we had to run to the car before it started running on the camera. The wall of rain that mm-hmm. came. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. So we run to the car, and your staff is very kind to us this week because we would tell them what we were doing, and they all, everybody left us alone. You know, because we're, like, driving as close as we can get to the crowd in the car so we can still watch the race mm-hmm. and not destroy the camera and wait for a moment. And this guy comes up. He's like, hey, what do you, uh, where do you think you're going? I was like, oh, no, no, we're staying right here. We're doing a documentary for the track and oh great have a great day it's like oh that's nice you so, know I did, if there's a daytona i've been shot on site you well, know what i mean i'm rolling my window down so here's the thing so now you know how to fake your way into anything <laughs> Wait, i gotta have a camera at least yeah, yeah. yeah. You just you can have one that's not even rolling oh i'm doing a documentary on vir mm-hmm. oh sure here mm-hmm. you go here's oh. connie's office right i feel like if we just learn the track president's name and everywhere we go actually that doesn't work too well <laughs> it doesn't it because it, I mean, sometimes it does. It but works well here. Is, is it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Secrets out. Yeah, that's yeah. disappointing. But we, uh, we're sitting there, and it's under yellow, so we're just kind of just staring. Actually, we were watching guys get stuck in the mud with their, with their rear-wheel drive pickup truck. Yes. And uh, while that's happening, it's just like almost kind of like seeing an animal in the wild. Like yeah. Connie comes around the corner, and we're like, oh, there's, yeah. there's Connie, like yeah. right there. And then she's picking up trash. Yeah. She's literally picking – and she looks mad, like, yeah. who left this water bottle here? And yeah. we're literally like, is this happening? Like we're yeah. seeing this right here, right in front of us. And I guess that's just what she does. And that's what we – so when Connie and I – Connie and I go and take our walks, usually to debrief most, most of our – debriefs you know either happen in my office or we just go on a walk and she tries to remember to bring like a walmart bag or something because we end up with so much trash Mm -hmm. but you know the good news is is we don't end up with that much of it anymore because our staff is so good about picking that stuff up and getting it i mean they really care we actually are going to give some of the credit on this to the fans you have here because we're staying at the lodge as you know Mm -hmm. and out front of our our, our room, there's been this kind of group of about 30, 35 kids in this, you know, quarter mile area. It's maybe a little too big, but a couple hundred yards of yeah, yeah. area. And, uh, they've been there since Thursday night, you know, Friday morning and partying and nothing out of the ordinary or, or unruly, but enough people have been going through there that you would think there'd be trash left over. And when they pulled out this afternoon, the only thing that you could see was trash that had been bagged and left in a big area for someone to pick it up. And we could like not in an orderly row. Like yeah. The whole we thing. could not <laughs> believe how clean that area was. Cause these are 25 year old to 40 year old kids. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's not your old group of guys that are like, we live here. Let's yeah. take, it was kids and yeah. they cleaned it up when they left. So we have a, an event here called Hyperfest, which, um, you know, you're always like, if you watch like the old videos from um, uh, West Virginia when it used to have it at Summit Point, mm-hmm. and you know, it always was, you know, there's the Daisy Duke contest, and then the big fight broke out. You know, it's just like, so you had drifting and fist fights, and yeah. it was just, you know, America. <laughs> and, you know, like, I feel like the police force would walk around looking for this, you know, like, it just, bad scenarios all around so when that came here we were kind of worried about that Mm -hmm. but you know one year we had a bad year where it was a monsoon and everybody for the first time figured out that 
their car either did not or did have four wheel drive and yeah. they had fun with it. Right. But last year they went around and I've never seen people pick up so much trash. And I'm talking about like, they looked like emo kids, goth kids, club kids, yeah. or drifting kids, or just full on, you know, like, uh, you know, Joe dirt, <laughs> you know? Right. But, and I don't know if there's more of a conscience now with that generation okay, or, or what, I mean, I still, when I drive through Danville, I'll see somebody throw out the packed full Hardee's bag right. out one window and they empty out the cigarette, you know, yeah, thing right. out the other. And you're like, oh, that, that's classy. <laughs> Thanks. So you are the track president here at VIR. I am. And you started as the director of operations? Director of track operations, yeah. And how much would you say your job has changed from then to now? Um, it feels like a lot, but I don't know that it, it is a lot. Um, I've acquired just a little bit more as being president with um, things that I hadn't focused on, like uh, food and beverage or uh, the hotels um, and, you know, hospitality or group sales. Um, I think, but it doesn't feel like that much because VR is such an amazing staff and everybody is, I feel like if they have direction or if you're working with them and they feel like they're part of a team, you know, kind of we're in it together. That, that's been one of the big things is pulling everybody together and saying it's not operations, it's not resort, it's VIR. You know, we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. when, when, I was, when my presidency was announced, have you heard this? Have I told you this? So it was one of the weirdest, craziest things. It was, um, it was in December. Connie decided to make the announcement. We'd never had an all-staff announcement before. Never, ever. So Connie calls this all-staff announcement, and nobody knows what this is about. Because it's just Connie and I talking about so it's it. It's so rare. It's like, oh, track's closing We're down. Done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so yeah. along those lines, um, we all get together. We're all sitting there. Connie gets up. And she's so excited to make this announcement, you know. People are crying. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, no, everybody's okay, but you could feel a weight in the air. And I'm sitting around, I'm looking at everybody, I'm like, what the hell's wrong with everybody? <laughs> so Connie starts going through the history of VIR. Oh, no, no. Everything that we've done. We've had a good run, guys. I am just, she, and she At just, any point did she say, we're all salesmen? No, no, no. Okay. No. She, she just broke out in tears, and she's just like, oh, I am so proud of this team. She's like... You, and yet this it pains me. This, right. is, this is just, we have been through so much together. And I'm like, why did Jerry just jump out the window? <laughs> so she's just getting in depth and just how much this place means so much to her. And then she, um, she goes, so in the next chapter of what VIR is going to be, I wanted to let you all know that Kerrigan Smith is going to be president and COO. <laughs> no, okay. it was, no. Oh, right. oh. everybody was on their phones and like i'm like they're all they're they're literally they're, they're calling like, their old bosses yeah, right, 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 right 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 this and, thing's tanking and so one of my one of my friends that i've known forever that's uh you know our director of maintenance he leans over he goes so what's different like, no. so you know he was just like and so and connie was like well that's it dude Everybody got up, Just walked like out of the room. The guy who gave his notice, like not too long ago that he was retiring, is the only guy that came up and said, hey, congratulations, that's really good. <laughs> Every, so, so literally, I'm sitting here at a table, and I'm like, 
Okay. By the way, why is Dolores crying? I was I like, dude, everybody is absolutely devastated right now. And this is just, they have just gotten the worst news going into Christmas. And it's like, <laughs> right, it's December. That jackass is now, what? You know, so anyway, I, it was one, I gave it a day, you know, or two. And so somebody came into my office that, you know, I, I valued their input on it. I was like, so what was up with, like, everybody was, just had a weird feeling about them. They go, we all thought we lost our jobs. We all thought, <laughs> we all thought VR was closing. And right. I was like, how could you think that? Connie was so excited. She went through the whole history of VIR <laughs> right. and was, it was On saying. the first ever all staff announcement. Yeah, that they've never done yeah. before. We've never done this before. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's Christmas. We're getting ready f- to shut down. What a perfect time. Yeah, right, you know, right. I was just like, I was like, man, why, why do people always have to think like <laughs> the worst case scenario all the time? I'm on their side. Yeah, like, I'm way on their side. Uh, it's like we've never done this before. What's going on? Try two uh, days oh. in the car with us. Let's see how dark you get. Yeah, yeah we yeah, can. We like, can turn things around for oh, you. Oh, I'm, I'm dark. I mean, don't get me. I'm dark. I mean, but let's say I've heard you quote movie lines. Yeah, you yeah. get it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, let's not get that started. Let's not ramp up that machine. But the so from there, and then you know, the. the Quickly following that was all the people that gave their resignations. You know, I was like, oh, okay. That's what I mean to you. All right. Also, it's racing. It's not exactly stable. Well, it is. uh, Yes, it is racing (laughs) because we have a racing aspect to it. But being so diverse in everything that we do, Mm -hmm. you know, you could say it, it. it's also a restaurant, which has, you know, great closing rate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a hotel, has great closing mm-hmm. rates. So, yeah, you know, we're, again. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to fail. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's like, it's a port- no one's safe. Here's our portfolio yeah. of failure. Right, sure. We're an equal, sure. uh, equal <laughs> failure. Equal failure opportunity. Yeah. yeah. So the history of EIR and, and you know, what led to its demise and rebirth, that's, we have plenty of other people we can talk yeah. about that, but... But you run the day-to-day okay. of, of this facility. Yep. Sell me on it. <laughs> Ooh, Sell uh, me VIR. I would say that's the, that's the really cool thing about VIR is I don't have to sell it. It sells itself. It really does. Um, when people come here, they get blown away because it's like, oh, I'm driving into a state park. Mm-hmm. Or... I've just come to this magical place that I cannot believe with all the towns I just drove through, or I went into Virginia, back into North Carolina, back into Virginia that I got here. What's, (laughs) what's this trickery? Mm -hmm. Um, And then people start looking around at how spacious it is, how clean it is. Oh my gosh, I can't believe the views here. Um, I don't, I I don't have to sell anybody on it. Literally, I feel I could hide in my office and VIR would be just as successful as it is whether I'm working as hard as I am or not. But for that matter, I feel that I have, I have been given not only a gift, but a task that I'm responsible for this. Um, and the, the staff I know feels the same way. I, I see the way the guys do their jobs. I, I, I mean, I see the way they all approach it. We feel responsibility um, Connie said it best one time, you know, she said, well, we're the keepers of VIR for this time frame, mm-hmm. And we've got, we're on a hundred year land lease. So, you know, maybe I'll be here. I don't know. I, I doubt it. But, you know, at some point I look at some of the old photographs of 
like the Ed Kims of the world who was like the first general manager here and a lot of these people who went through and made all these groundbreaking decisions to go ahead and take the direction of VIR. I really come in with a sole focus that I hopefully am going to have more of an impact today than I had yesterday. You know, that, that, that whole thing, you know, I, I, I probably guilty of saying a lot is, you know, you're only as good as your last day. You're only as good as your last race. I believe that. If I come in and I give a half-ass day, you know, that's not making VR better. That's not helping the employees. Um, it's not that I have to be the first one there and the last one to leave. I'm not trying to say, you know, you, 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 know, you have to do that. Mm -hmm. But what is my impact while I'm there? What is, while I've been gifted this time to be here at VIR, what is going to be my impact? And it's not my impact, but us as a team, because I like to have buy-in from, you know, nobody wants to be like, this is what we're doing, you know. Right. I know, you don't. So a lot of this restructuring has been trying to, bring the directors to the table more and, um, you know, kind of the, the knights of the round table type thing to really start getting buy-in, um, start having them look at uh, the, uh, you know, profit and loss uh, and, and the budgets and um, also building policy. You know, I've really had to learn that even though my, I, I always want to be fully engaged and I always want to be um, a part of it, that maybe that's not where they need me. And maybe if, if, if I always had to be there, then I didn't have the right people in place. So that's how I know I have really the, the right people in place, good key people. So where, what is the strengths that I can do? Well, I can make sure that they have consistent policy. I can make sure that they have, um, you know, uh, uh, hopefully a strong, healthy budget, that they have the tools that they need, uh, that they have um, the support that they need with staff, um, that I am reading through every single contract word for word, not making sure I'm tying them into something that forces them to be in breach of a contract instantly. I mean, my day, very sad to say, is like literally living on a computer from when I get to work to when I leave. Um, few phone calls here and there, but most of it is email, reading, and, you know, feel, trying to feel like if I don't answer this person's email, which, which are important, what are not, how do I keep them moving forward? Because you don't want somebody to stall out on, hey, Kerrigan, you know, um, I need, we need to move on this. And mm -hmm. if I don't move on that, the ripple effect is huge. I mean, I've just learned that pretty quickly. I mean, if one guy can't get this part in and he had a guy scheduled in to come to do this, you know, why is this guy sitting around? Right. Well, he's sitting around because, you know, I didn't get to that email fast enough. So, you know, everybody's like, oh, God, you work at a racetrack, man. You must drive on the racetrack all day long. You, you go down to the guns, you know, go shoot guns all day. And what do you do? You know, you're, you're hanging out with the drivers and, the, you know, and all these people. And, you know, it's, it's really funny. And when I hear people talk like that, I'm like, that is not what VIR needs, you know? They look like they're having such a great time on the road trip. <laughs> yeah. So you, you get it. Yeah, Gosh, how great would that be yeah, to you not? You could have seen both of our physiques in like March. Yeah. yeah we yeah. were in a great place. Yeah, it was yeah. a much, much different time. Yeah. yeah. This is going to be a fun year. And, you know, the, and, you know, hopefully this doesn't offend anybody, but, you know, when people show up on like a Friday afternoon at five o'clock and they're so excited to be at VIR and they want to run into your office and, 
you know, hey, we're here. Right. You know, and it's like, <laughs> I'm trying to go home right now, right, you know, right. we're, we're, you know, yeah. and you don't want to, you don't want to crush that because it's so special that people are here. But one thing that I'm really working on is trying to pull myself out of almost having a tunnel vision of, um, and not so much just operation, but of making sure that there is forward momentum at all times that you get locked into such a, it's, it's not a tunnel vision, but it is such a, a focus. My, my black and white nature gets such a focus that sometimes I forget to push back from the table and try to go be with the club members mm-hmm. or try to go um, shake people's hands in the paddock. That's, you know, where I interact with a lot of people sometimes is even at these events by trying to stand out by the flagpole and be out there and be reactionary and know people that letting my staff know I'm available. But Connie is such a good balance of that because Connie just, you know, she, she wants to be out there making the howdies and she needs to be that person that is touching everybody that they can relate to, that they can grasp onto. It, it, it's such a good, that's how we're such an amazing team because Connie, when, whenever media comes on site, hey, get Connie in front of the camera. You know, do you want to say anything? Nope. Get Connie in front of the mm-hmm. camera. You know, I've got other stuff to do. And, you know, we all know our place. We all know our roles, just like how Connie's not coming in and being like, hey, uh, last night I went ahead and wrote up this uh, procedure on how to repair a tire wall, and I'd <laughs> like you to go ahead and yeah. understand how, um, how I'd like you to do this from now on. Right. It, it seems like there's a very clear division on sort of the face versus the operation of the whole deal. Correct. Yeah. Correct. When it comes to the actual operation of the, of the track, I assume a guy like you, even if you have a title, you don't really have a role as much as just sort of a – a million different things. What is, what is a day in the life of a, of a track president? Emails. Weird. I mean, emails. And the video. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I, I, I truly feel first thing in my, my routine is checking the track. Yeah. That is first and foremost, check the track, make sure things are set up, make sure things are um, good. I roll down to the paddock, check with uh, the renter, or drive through if we have I have other people that check with the renter so I try not to get in the way of that but you're looking at the grounds how are things looking make it a visual appearance then it's back to the office and I hate to say it but it is emails phone calls and contracts for the rest of the day you're definitely selling yourself short because I've been here for so long and I've seen you operate I'd say probably like 50% of the track equipment that's here that's but that's not my that's only because I have a background on some of that equipment in previous jobs that I've had, mm-hmm. but I would hate to be calling somebody to say, if, if I see a forklift sitting right there and the Porter John needs to be moved right there, I call a guy away from a productive guy that's working and say, Hey, can you come move this for me? Or, Hey, uh, can you fold this for me? Or this trash I, I can't do much with trash, so yeah, I do wait till the guy shows up with trash. Because if I throw it in the back of the new truck, Nissan's not going to be too happy with me. But uh, little things, if I can do it myself, I'm going to do it. But I have to be out of my office to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's usually around big events that I'm, I'm, I'm out of my office doing that. But if I can help out, I will. Um, most of the time now, though, it's a supervisory role mm-hmm. where I'm just standing there and trying to be quiet. 
prior to working on the operation side of this track, you came from motorsports. It was actually, you worked with a race team that was located on the premises. Yep. So you came in kind of understanding the race car culture. Yes. What was the biggest change from working on a race team to working on a racetrack? You went with the sole focus of always making that race car faster. Always. Like, what is the efficiency? You know, it was so cool when all of a sudden it clicked one time that VIR or business in general, let's not even call VIR, business in general applies so well to a pit stop and to a race team. How do you make it more efficient? How do you make it faster? And how do you do things better? And how do you have constant communication? Um, I don't know. That that just, that that really came in very quickly to start looking at how do I make VIR faster? Okay, how, how, do, how do we make the team that services VIR more efficient? How do we have that communication? How do people have those roles and that assignment? Am I the best at doing that? No, I've probably left some people where they're scratching their head going, I think Kerrigan wants this, you know, I don't know. But I, I like to think I'm pretty clear that you know, they know that, okay. And it's not so much what I want. Hopefully it's something we've come to together. And I always try to include people in the decision because I want to have buy-in, right? I want them to be, feel like they have as much buy-in on the, the path of this decision as well. You are a product of Harvey and, uh, and <laughs> Connie because you're saying all the things they say. Yeah. Um, you pay attention. What was your, two sentences or less, what was your first job in racing? Uh, I was... Uh, Tire guy and quickly became a fueler. And you were how old? 27. What would be the thing that Kerrigan Smith at 27 would have never guessed that a track president had to do? Well, let me just answer your question with as random as I could get. I never would have thought that I would be the track president at VIR. Right. That's just not, you just don't think that way. Sure. So as much as my wife's dismay or disappointment, I never have expectations and I'm always happy. <laughs> You know, because I'm like, that's what I tell every woman I date. I understand. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Please, please don't have any expectations. No. You know, I, you know. But I am. I never. I never ever even thought about. You know where this could go. I I, I was so happy that somebody actually that somebody wanted me as a volunteer. Right. On a race team when I first started out, and they weren't paying me. You know, I was getting yelled at for, for free, you know, <laughs> right. we all know this, yeah, you know, yeah. and I, I, it, that was, you know, but I feel like so many people today don't get that. No, I have to be paid. No, I have to have, no, get out there, be hungry, go to them, tell them, I'll do whatever you want me to do. What do you want me to do? And be that guy that's cutting up the boxes and folding them and doing all that stuff. When everybody else is standing around, go polish those tools, go arrange things, mm -hmm. go sweep the floor. Yeah. Okay. You know, go do these things, and it's just like I never imagined that it would take me to a paid position on the team, that it would take me in a full-time paid position on the team, that it would eventually take me to managing a department on the team. Then, you know, that would, ever that I would offer my resume to Connie Nyholm, and I would be, you know, she, I remember when she came to me, I was having one of those days on pit lane with three customer cars and Connie came over and I'm standing on the wall and I came out and I was like, Hey Connie, how are you? She goes, ah, you got the job. <laughs> <laughs> what? Fair enough. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Great. 
So you share something that, that the two of us share, which is the perception of a lot of glamour, <laughs> but maybe the reality is uh, diabetes. <laughs> uh, uh, what's the least glamorous thing that people don't realize you have to do? Um, I would say... Don't give me some nonsense philosophical, you're no, blessed, f- that. I want to no. know what sucks. Firing people. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. No, firing people doesn't suck. <laughs> No, if um, if the most matter if, of fact face too. It's fun. Yeah. If I have to, if I have to lay somebody off that has been working really hard because of something that sucks. Yeah. If you've gotten to the point to where I have to fire you, see you later. Yeah. Bye bye. If if you're taking advantage of VIR, if you're pulling down our staff, if you're if you're making a cesspool where it doesn't exist, I, I'm done with you. Yeah. I will, I will go out of my way to give people as many opportunities as I can, try to work with them. There's always two sides to every story. Yeah. Is it something at home? I, I'm not a jerk that way. But if you give me no chance or if you don't want to be here, I'm happy not to have you here. Yeah. You know? But what is not glamorous is sometimes dealing with complaints, mm-hmm. just over and over complaints. Complaints and you, that aren't necessarily merited. Or just from people that are just complaining? Well, I don't want to sit there and say complaints aren't merited because they have to stem from something. But there is sometimes, there are some, I will say there are some people in this world that will just never be happy. Right. Okay? They're never going to be happy. And for the most part, people are, you know, if you come down and you talk to them, sometimes a lot of people just want to be heard. And a lot of times some people have some very legitimate things and if it's legitimate, dude, I'll end it as quick as I can. Right. You're absolutely right. We're wrong. Yeah. This is something that we need to work into. I also think sometimes people, you know, don't have that realistic approach of um, they want they, they, they want VIR to be absolutely perfect. And I get it, but I, there's some of that rustic beauty of VIR and some of the things that we're doing, yes, you know, we have so much to do. You wish you could just go down and share your punch list and your dream to everybody mm-hmm. of this is, this is what we'd like to get to, but it's going to take a while. Right. I almost feel like, you know, there's some people that sometimes come and complain about stuff. And I was like, well, that's great. Why don't you pay for this? <laughs> yeah, right. I would love it. Yeah. If you really want this that bad, why don't you pay for this? Karen, you are very open and friendly with people and you have a position that obviously has a ton of, you know, responsibility behind it and gets you into a lot of rooms with a lot of people that have egos. <laughs> so you've been at like every driver's meeting that I've ever been at at VIR. Yeah. And I guarantee a lot of guys want to tell you things because they know they can tell you things. Whereas mm-hmm. like, I don't talk to Scott Atherton necessarily because I don't think the guy really has a lot of time for me. You know what I mean? So I bet he gets out of a lot of conversations that you don't get to get out of because your personality allows people to think they can just, hey, hey, let me tell you something real quick. Yeah. Does that affect how much you have these complaints? No. I, I feel like there's a little bit of a shift in motorsports right now, and hopefully I'm answering your question, but I feel like things are getting driven more to almost customer-driven programs. Mm-hmm to where a lot of the complaints are coming from people that I would never expect them to hear saying, you know, hey, if you thought about doing this or, you know, there's there's a little bit of a lip that drops off here. You know, have you guys ever thought, or have you ever thought about paving this? Have you ever thought about doing that? I'm like, 
who are you? I, you know, <laughs> why are you asking this question? Right, and right, it, right. it's almost like things get more, you know, driven customer wise on the pro weekends. I don't hear that. You know, I'm speaking of so many of the other days, Sure. you know, that you hear from renters or you hear from people that are running a lot of these series, which are racing series, but they're more, they're, they're customer driven racing right. series. Well, a lot of times when you start getting, I don't want to use the word club, but a lot of times when you start moving sort of a few echelons down from pro racing, you can like one <laughs> echelon, like one echelon down <laughs> to amateur, uh, to club racing. Um, <laughs> they, uh, uh, you know, if you're, if you're club racing, it means you are absolutely a driver that is paying to be there. You have the money and the yeah. capacity to do this as opposed to some pro drivers and pro series who, mm -hmm. you know, they're there on it for a different reason, which means they either came into a situation where they had such money and were entitled to it, or they earned it because they were successful within their own specific industry. Therefore, everyone in that room is smarter than you. Well, listen, I accept that probably everybody is smarter than me. Right. I mean, I, I, I do not. I learn, and, <laughs> but I will tell you. That's why you're a track president. I learn from every single incident that happens either on the track, off the track, or what somebody's, yes, you have to get through a lot sometimes what people say, but every now and then there's a gem in there. Right. And if you can take that breath and just say, okay, this guy's coming from a good place. He loves VIR this much that he wants to say this, or this guy is really upset. I mean, something has really triggered him. Yeah. Hopefully he's not unstable. Hopefully this is, he's having a bad week. What is it? And trying to identify the source of what this is coming and realizing that nah, there's, there is two sides to every story. And I don't try to solve people's problems right away. I will go to my staff and I will say, hey, this is the story I'm getting. How did, it, how did you perceive it happen? Right, right. It's amazing. They almost never line up, <laughs> ever. Yeah. And then you come back and then you bring, the two, you bring the two of those people together and you act as the mediator if there's something with it. And usually things don't last very long. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll be like, well, whatever, <laughs> you know, right. and, and they move on. Um, How many staff members do you have full-time? Uh, full-time year round. I think we're around uh, 55 and I think we're three, probably 300, maybe almost 350 uh, part-time. Yeah. Is that, so what's the total amount of staff you'll have for like a massive like IMSA event or something For an like IMSA that? event like this, we'll, we'll, with temps and other helps, we might be up anywhere to 425. How many days a year are you open? Uh, we shut down for two weeks at Christmas. So, excuse me, two days in Thanksgiving, um, but that, that, that is about it. What percentage would you say the track's financial income is from fans? From our spectator events? Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, that's a good question. Uh, so spectator events, people don't realize they are risk. Okay? That is 100% risk. Uh, an event like this, if the fans don't show up, you're done. I mean, you, you took a major loss. Yeah. Um, our main bread and butter is track rental. And I would say our tickets or our fan support on an IMSA race is 100% on the IMSA event, but it's probably a very small 1% to the overall financial structure to VIR because we're focusing on so many other things. Now, if that weekend totally tanked, 
it would probably become a quick 25% because the <laughs> loss would be such a big number right. that it would, it, would, it would probably equate to losing three weeks worth of track rental. Track, re- track rental is the biggest revenue to where we, we are renting the facility, um, the, the track proper, which is the restricted area, which is the north paddock and, or whichever paddock to the configuration they're renting, the couple of buildings associated with it and that track and they are operating within um our guidelines rules and under uh their insurance being primary ours being secondary a track rental can be film shoots racing organizations primarily it's driver education okay so if you were to look at the biggest bulk of what we do it's driver education during the weekday weekends are generally a form of club racing um, we also do a lot of uh, um, experiential things, whether it be, you know, a driving school or um, a owner appreciation uh, type event or um, high-end OEM testing to where they don't want anybody else around. Um, motorcycles make up a lot of what we do, but it really has a lot of the more of a feel of driver education focus with you know, leading into the club racing weekend. Right. When it comes to an event like the one that we've come out here for, the the IMSA event, um, that becomes a totally different financial scenario. A very different financial scenario. So we are asking IMSA to bring the show to us, okay? And can't tell you how amazing it is to be one of the 12. I mean, there are people... By 12, you mean 12 there are tracks. 12 tracks they run at all. Right, year. 12 yeah. tracks that they run at. And we are, I consider ourselves extremely fortunate to be chosen for one of the 12s. When they come to town, IMSA is a paid event. We pay them and we assume the risk. It is up to us to recover financially, whether it be through sponsorship or ticket sales or hopefully you just have a sack of cash laying around that you could just throw to this. Um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you know, tourism must pay for this, or gosh, you know, sure, you know, when people see our economic impact study that we had, I always have to remind people, when they see that number of what, 297 million, I think it was, that stayed here locally, that's not the money we're keeping. That's the money that everybody else is getting outside of EIR. Yeah. So when they come, you know, we are the ones that are taking the sole responsibility to put this event on. Our staff, damage to the facility, all these ruts out here, the place getting torn up, yeah. damage to tire walls, damage to guardrail, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's all on us. Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, it's, a, hef- it's, it's a hefty nut to take. But you can sit here and do a spreadsheet on it, which we do. I mean, we run the numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we go through and we say, okay, we pulled in this many tickets. Here's our income. Here's all of our expenditures. We even take in consideration, since we're renting out daily, we take into consideration of four days of lost track rental. Right. Yeah, sure. Okay, right. to put in to yeah, say that, real. that, that yeah. is real. Yeah. That all adds up to a really big number. The one thing that you can't put a number on is the street creds that you're getting by the drivers out there talking about, you know, 
wow, the grip was really good. Yeah, or, right. you know what, the, 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 they were really responsive. Or the fans saying, I've never had a better camping experience. Or, you know what, I walked in there and, gosh, it was a rainy day and those bathrooms were clean. Yeah, right. People talking about that, social, the social media of people shooting things out saying, I'm having the greatest time ever. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the place to be. You can't put a value on that. Is there a value to that sort of big track phenomenon that a pro race can create? So like in, in karting, I know this, where a race, say Sonoma Raceway, which let's say the kart track is maybe not great, but the fact that it's Sonoma and it's a yeah, place where right. all the big guys race, whereas a, a go-kart track in Davis, California, isn't really going to bring in the same right. appeal. Is there a little bit of that with you guys? Um, it, I think we're getting close. I think we're at the tipping point of that. I don't know if we've gotten to that to where we're big track, you know, um, we're close. I think we're really close. I think people, more and more people are knowing about us. Mm-hmm. Everybody's heard about all the other tracks. And I think finally VIR is starting to get that credential, that street cred. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, American Le Mans series did a, a lot for us. I mean, it really, that was impressive when the muscle milk car came out here and was tearing around mm-hmm. and it was just impressive and still holds a track record to this day. Yeah. Um, and that was a HPD powered car. Yeah, that yeah, was. was. A, yeah, yeah, that was. That was. Sponsor plug. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Good plug because it's an amazing car. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, having um, having all of that with drivers saying the things that they say about you, even the PR people, once they start tagging onto mm-hmm. that and making funny things, like connecting with your PR person, right. And making these, you know, funny relationships, all of a sudden people are like, wow, you know, this, th- things are happening here. Yeah. People obviously have a, a real respect for this track. And I think that's what, um, that's, that's my driver for taking the risks that we do yeah. is, guys, we've got to deliver this and we've got to knock it out of the park every single day. And every time IMSA comes here, we have to be one step better than we were the last time. Because we want to continue that momentum where we want them to say, you know what, uh, we want to be at VIR. Mm-hmm. Um, they made an announcement today that was really great, you know, that they've extended, you know, the contract with us for, we've got another four years of IMSA, mm-hmm. you know, and that is a real good settling thing to know that yeah. we got four more chances to prove that we belong on the world stage. Yeah. So just pure facts and figures. Uh, if you were going to not have an IMSA on the same four-day period, mm-hmm. which would be more more bottom line profitable? The 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 track rental weekend, if you were going to rent out to to some big club for four days, or based on all the income versus expenditure of a pro race. So I know this is going to disappoint you, but it's not as easy as a quick answer. It's yeah, going to be thing. wipe out the intangibles, it's, it's, wipe out the marketing value and the halo effect. I just want to know not, pure facts and figures. It's not halo effect. So right. here's the truth of the matter. You wipe that you wipe that goal that aspiration out right. to have th- these kind of events. I don't need a marketing department. They don't need me. Okay? They don't need the, the the level of maintenance crew we have. We don't need the level of security that we have. So, this VIR if it wanted to, it could probably could be a very big cash cow of just sitting there and getting rid of all the professionals it has and just going to something that doesn't have an FIA license. Right. And it just churns it's out just track a fun rental. club track. So, so why not do that? Because do you think that will sustain? Okay. Because I look at a lot of these tracks that maybe have lost a lot of their races 
have lost a lot of what they've had, they may not be rented Monday through Sunday. Okay, Monday to Monday, they probably don't have rentals. I like to think because VIR is the talked about track, in the know, and one that is pretty you know, high with the street creds on what's happening, people feel like they need to be here, they need to be doing something with it because it's what people are talking about. And I think that generates consistent business. So if you didn't create that, that halo effect of having big pro events here, you feel like it would slowly kind of bleed out in terms of momentum? I do uh, think momentum. it would bleed out. Yeah. And I think it would be, you'd, you'd rent your weekends, okay? Because everybody wants a weekend somewhere because they know they're gonna generate. You may not have the level of attention to the track. The surface may fall apart. You're not gonna be expanding like we have. You're not gonna be upgrading. You're not gonna be upgrading your walls. You're not gonna be spending the money that Connie allows me to spend money on that does not generate cash, okay? It just generates things from drivers who have crashes that send me really nice texts and say, thank you so much for paying attention to that barrier. I needed it today. What's the best worst advice you've been given about what you need to do here? The, um, the best worst advice, and this is no joke, and I'm so glad this came to me. Um, <laughs> so when we rebuilt our, when we started putting in the FIA curbing, that was, I thought I was going to get fired instantly. <laughs> um, I came up with this grand idea and I sold Connie on it and you know, she said, yeah, this, this sounds like a good idea. We installed it and the motorcyclists lost it. Okay. They just were really upset with us in feeling that, um, it was going to hurt people if they slide across it or create problems. Okay. Um, and so one photographer went out and took a picture of the curbing backwards. So it looks like a cheese grater. Yeah. So if you were going in a reverse direction, <laughs> it really, oh, yeah, it looked, yeah. it, it looked diabolical, yeah. right? You were going to die. Yeah. So I get an email from this guy who will remain unnamed, but he was a police officer using his police officer email stating that I'm an idiot and I don't know what I'm doing and sent me pictures of curbing that other tracks use that I should be using. And it was street drainage. It was <laughs> drainage grading. Right. Right. And I was like, I went back and I was like, no, we, we, we don't have a drainage problem. We have a track limits problem. Right. And, um, he wouldn't let go of it. Um, you know, he just was, uh, very, very adamant that we needed to, have steel great right. curbing yeah in absolutely there. i was like yeah okay <laughs> thanks officer thank you <laughs> how does a track become fia certified um you set aside a budget to go ahead and uh accept that you're going to have to maintain a license every three years that costs money and you're gonna have to accept your body language says a lot of money when I first found out about it, um, I was a little bit surprised, but now I'm not, but it's just part of the deal. It's not easy. Okay. And it shouldn't be, um, you know, you have to sit there and ask your question. If, if IMSA didn't require it, would people do it? No. So think about this. The three of us could get together right now 
we could go buy a piece of property and we can open up a racetrack. So you're saying that if IMSA didn't require you to have an FIA license for your racetrack, you probably wouldn't do it because you would just keep the standards that you already have. I think it's a serious thing to think about. And I'm not asking for more regulation. Sure. But there is no regulation. Right. All right. As sort of like a nationwide standard of how tracks should operate. There is none. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay? And that, that bothers me. Let me actually, for the edit, because that's actually useful. Yeah, right. If it weren't, basically, if it weren't for IMSA requiring an FIA certification, you'd, you wouldn't have to run any, because literally in the United States of America, there is no such thing as a nationwide track standard that everybody has to uphold to. So I look at the FIA certification as one of the only playbooks that exists. Okay. okay? That's the one that comes out. And the first time that I read that, because when... When I was looking around trying to figure a lot of things out, I'm like, this isn't making sense. Where did this come from? The first time I read the FIA book, I was like, okay, all right, good. All right, so I'm understanding this. And I think a lot of people go to tracks and they just assume that a racetrack is going to be safe. They assume that their insurance is going to make them be safe. They insure, they, they just assume that somebody has a conscience. Okay, what's their driver? So I'm, I'm not saying that VIR would be a better place because of Kerrigan Smith. I'm saying the FIA regulations and me getting in and reading that helped me realize a couple of key things that I was missing because somebody has already done this, all right? And then when you have your inspector come out and take a look and really explain to you things and say, this is why we got to this decision. Okay, thank you so much. But that's not just to rely on the FIA because every track is different, every corner is different, speeds are different. It's also analyzing every single incident that you can at your track and not just being you know, absentee, like, oh, don't tell me about it. I don't want the liability of knowing about what happened here at this track. So I want to be quiet about this. So I think that's something that, you know, if, if, if I were to go on a, you know, a tirade about it, it's kind of like, how do we get things uh, to where, you know, some people can go to a racetrack and it, it's kind of like if you jumped on a carnival ride that, you know, wasn't inspected before you set up for your kids. So your, your job now is a job that you work every day. Like you come to your office, you're on the ground here every day, but in racing, you have the travel element mm-hmm. almost ingrained into it. Uh, how did that change for you from going from somebody that was traveling around the country, doing different racetracks, sometimes even going out of the country to now it's every day. It's the same place, the same office. It, uh, it saved my marriage and, um, afforded me the opportunity to actually be dad. Okay. Um, that was a, that was a critical thing. Um, I see some of my friends that were doing it with me back strong in the day. And I'm like, how are you still doing this? Um, I thought I was really, you know, going to miss it. I, I, you know, when, when you leave, you're like, God, the unknown, I'm really going to miss this. This is really going to be unfortunate. I couldn't transition away from this scene fast enough. You know, it was like, wow, here's something new to focus in to, that, that, that's exciting. Um, that's a whole new world. Um, it, it definitely gave me, uh, a, a, 
a different focus. And oh, by the way, I made it home for dinner. I mean, it's foreign. I mean, it's, I know you guys can't relate to that. <laughs> it's I mean, 100% correct. And, yeah. you know, it, it just, I may not have every day off, but, you know, I know that barring events like this, okay, which essentially is traveling for the lack of better terms, but it's just not long distance. Barring this, for most of the time, I can sit there and figure that, okay, uh, I, I can pretty much be there each night. Maybe not in the morning, but I'll be there each night. Uh, it seems like every couple of years, automotive and motorsport seems to be going through crazy changes. You know, if you were to ask me what the future of racing was 10 years ago versus what it is today, they're way off course from one another. Um, to run a track like this, what are the trends that you're seeing to move forward? Um, definitely seeing the trend of comfort. Um, you know, people wanting less rustic, more refined, um, even if it comes to the cost of the landscape uh, sometimes. Um, the one thing that has really come into light, you know, for racetracks is safety, which never used to be a conversation, never used to be anything anybody talked about. Um, you know, what? what is the level of... Um, you know, how do I know that I'm going to be okay? Convenience, uh, being able to have access to Wi-Fi mm -hmm. and that I can do work from the racetrack. Um, you know, just all these conveniences that never, people used to want to get away from their life to come to the racetrack. Yeah. Now I feel like people just want to, you know, take a break from their life <laughs> yeah. and go do a 20-minute lap session and then they can come back and do what they need to do, which I think is a mistake because I think people lose a lot of the focus. Well, I'd even go even further to say it's, it, they want to make it look as though it's part of their life. Yeah, right. Which is an instantaneous thing. Yeah. So the, the, the key thing I keep hearing from you is that sort of intangible factor that there's a lot of things you have to put attention into that do not generate revenue, but they're absolutely critical in the perception of how this place operates. So you're saying the trends are moving more towards comfort. So if we consider aesthetics part of that, you maybe could get away without mowing the grass as often as you do, but every day you wait, it's gonna look a little bit more ragged. And these are things that you can't necessarily generate a tangible number on a spreadsheet with. Yeah, well, you can't. So let, let's say somebody wants to do a corporate retreat here or they come here. So you can distract them with pretty race cars for a while, but then somebody will be like, Where's your lobby? Excuse me? You know, where's your concierge service? Uh, is, there a, can, is there a gift shop or something? Can, I want to go buy a bottle of vodka and get a few snacks. Uh, where's the gift shop? Uh, don't have that. Um, you know, when people come, you know, we'll set out these tables for hospitality and different things. They'll be like, where's the power strip where I can plug in my USB, my ethernet. And, you know, you, you start running into all these things that you start competing with to these really high end places where I feel like people get really spoiled and nobody wants to come out and have the experience. A lot of times there are some that do, but then, you know, how, how do you keep up with that? How do you sit there and say, okay, we have to make these people feel like they're, you know, not lost in a, a state park. And when they come here that, you know, they turn on their Wi-Fi and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, oh, great. You know, <laughs> right. 
I can conduct business from here. Um, you know, how, how, how do we, you know, they, they walk into a place and they're like, Ooh, this looks a little bit fresh. You know, it's not like you have rippled, you know, I know it has, I know it has great, you know, mystique up at the tavern that it has rippled glass, but if they're seeing it in our other buildings, you right, know, it's, right. <laughs> it's not good, you know? When we sat down with Harvey, he was really emphatic on the ski resort environment that, and prior to, to his vision and Connie's efforts that that hadn't really existed in racetracks prior to that. Um, do you feel like a lot of that vision has continued into today? Because you mentioned things like Wi-Fi and a lobby and a gift shop, and those aren't actually things that are here. Yeah, but so everything that we've kind of done, I mean, the the only thing, you know, we took, you know, Harvey had to have a look where he put, you know, a whole bunch of shaker shingles on all the buildings. Shaker shingles are great unless you're in the humid south, okay? And um, so when we had a time to redo the roof, it was a really kind of, do you lose the aesthetics of that shaker shingle that will probably only last for five or 10 years? Or do you go with a asphalt shingle that will have at least a 30 year warranty? And does it change the look and feel of VIR that much? How much do people really notice it? Right. We went through and we changed every single roof that we had here. I don't think we got one comment. You know, so you Poor know, Harvey seeing the contract, you see how they had it right. Yeah, there. right. No, yeah. but yeah. So Harvey did no, but I, I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm reflecting that wrong. Harvey had this for no, no, so. No, 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 don't, don't, don't change. But your response based on our response because we're no, laughing no. at like the difference in people. Yeah, and but how I guess what I was it. trying, guess what yeah. I was trying to say is, yeah. Harvey established this brand and this image for a whole bunch of years. That when when we replaced those roofs, people still saw shaker shingles. Yeah, right. It's just burned into your mind. Okay, like, so yeah, it's just like, yeah. oh, I didn't even notice that. But it's just that simple little thing that, okay, start thinking the longevity of the building. Harvey really did an amazing job of building a timeless setting that works very well in this environment. And so when people come here with it, it doesn't look out of place. They relate to it, and they feel like these buildings are from 1957. You know, they're like, oh, that must be the original South Tower. No, there never was a South anything, you know. Yeah. You just saw behind the mirror or behind the curtain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, fans. Yeah. <laughs> I ruin lots of things. That's actually my job. I'm, I'm, Connie's, dark, I'm Connie's dark cloud. Right. Uh, but the, the point being is that Harvey had the, the, he had the idea that you could make this place what it probably was to people at the time, but with modern takes and safety and, you know, user friendliness, because you guys used to have a bathroom that was a concrete wall or some metal. Oh, like, yeah, uh, you had a, a sheet metal, yeah, yeah. You had a sheet metal wall for a bathroom and now you have some of the nicest, cleanest bathrooms, even on muddy days, you know? So it's tough to get it going. It's tough to keep it going. What are the biggest threats that you guys have right now? Uh, competition, you know, is always one. People building another racetrack and losing track rental dates. Um, you know, that that is one of those. Um, if somebody were to um, take your events, you know, and say, oh, well, I'm just going to go here to a different track. Uh you mentioned the trends moving towards people looking for comfort, but just as events themselves, where do you see this kind of facility headed towards? 
um, more hyperfest, more pro races, more club races, more things we don't even know exist yet. More, uh, believe it or not, more diversity in what, who we're renting to. Okay. It's not so much that we're, you know, looking at the customer that we have, does this customer stay on property? Does this customer eat at your tavern? Are they making, you know, all the other businesses, are they investing back into it? And is this a good customer for VIR? Because there's lots of interest in our dates. I understand the things you're evaluating. My question is, what are the things that you're seeing happen more of? Like, do you, the kids that come to Hyperfest, are you seeing these kids as the future or is it, is it the uh, safety school that you see with, for uh, police training? Um, what, where do you see the trends going right now with this kind of a uh, facility? In both directions. The problem is, is you see a lot of saturation at VIR because there's so many different groups that are trying to come here that there's not everybody can go on a regular basis. But I would say um, some of the new kids that are coming to the Hyperfest events and learning about it is an interesting concept, but I don't know that it's moving the needle as much as I thought it would. I really feel there are still so many people out there that now are learning about VIR that it's the people that want to make it their bucket list. That I feel like every time I hear a whole handful of people that say, I need to get to VIR. Um, what series will we never see here? Will the Formula One race ever come here? No. What about IndyCar? Hard to say. You know, that would be, that, that would have to be IndyCar that would have to say that. Um, you know, again, you could sit there and say, that's something, you know, people say, why is NASCAR not there? Well, you've got Martinsville right here and you've got Richmond Raceway right here. You know, is that saturated? I don't know. We would love... I always ask, I will call up anybody and I say, please come out and do a case study on us and tell us what we need to do if we ever wanted to host your facility or host your sanctioned event here. Because as, I, as we collectively work to build VIR, there might be something I want to factor in that I say, oh, you know what, that works for this event and this event and this event. So it became really valuable to me. Some people take me up on it, some don't. You and I don't know each other very well, but yep. one thing that, that a lot of my friends, Ryan, Spencer, Andy, everyone is extremely complimentary of you very specifically about how hands-on you are with safety here. Uh, and I hate to make this seem like a commercial, uh, but it's, I mean, we've, we've seen just how hands-on you can be. What are the stakes here? I understand the stakes in terms of safety then no, how bad it can stakes. go. It's not stakes, it's that these are people that I know. That's my racing background. I mean, I used to be the crew chief of some of the guys that are running around here, or I used to fill their race cars. They were people that were heroes to me, you know, when I was starting out. And, you know, I, I just, I, out of good conscience, you know, uh, there's some responsibility to me. I used to make sure that their car was perfect, so why wouldn't I make sure their racetrack is perfect? You know? I mean, that's a perfect soundbite. Yeah, right that point. was, a, that yeah, was yeah, good. You got good, it. So good, yeah. you're getting good at the soundbite okay. thing now. But that, yeah. I mean, that. Oh, uh, you just lost it. That, but that's, <laughs> I mean, seriously, that, that, that really is where that stems from. Yeah. Let's say something really, really bad happens here. Um, what are the stakes in terms of the health of the company? 
So something really bad happened. Well, I mean, so everybody in the motorsports industry, you hope, is as overinsured as the next one. I mean, insurance, insurance will only protect you if you are doing, um, you know, proper. Yeah, and I'm I'm saying this wrong, but I'm trying to say, if you're not um, blatantly if you don't have blatant disregard. For somebody's safety, things happen. This is motorsports, okay? People are going out there on a motorcycle going 180 miles an hour, all right, on the back straightaway if they can. You know, cars are going as fast as they, I mean, the new production cars that are coming out, I mean, we're thinking, we're, we're thinking of performance before safety on a regular basis right now, and we're putting people in rocket ships. I mean, you know, you, you look at a lot of the race series that are here, some of these cars are faster than what the pros are running. If somebody got hurt, it's everything is situational, okay? Every, we, we have had fatalities here at VR, and they suck, okay? It's devastating. Um, it's devastating for the staff. It's devastating for, um, you know, everybody affiliated with the event because it's a grounding rod. We sit there and try to say we're working within the best standards and our best due diligence of what we're doing here every day. And if there was something that um, I, you know, one of us dropped the ball on, ultimately it would be me that would have to answer to that. I mean, I'm responsible. I mean, that's where I live. But if something really bad were to happen, what are the actual consequences? Forget morale, forget staff getting upset and, and the event getting upset. Are you more likely to lose events in the future? Is IMSA never going to come back? Uh, lawsuits that could financially bring you to a halt. What are the actual consequences of something I going mean, wrong? I, I, I can think on numerous occasions where bad things have happened and those sanctioning bodies are still there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people accept it. Now, if this is a continual trend, Okay, and if there is no discussion about it or trying to improve it, sure, you're going to, again, that street cred, you know, where you want to be on that ladder is 100% up to every facility. Again, like I said, nobody is pushing you to go to the, you know, to, to, to achieve some certain limit or level. Um, so I would have to say each track, each facility it has to be a, a, a driver of theirs. Um, it's not going to be driven. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody is driven by making just money flat out and that's all they care about, chances are there's going to be a couple of things that money's just not going to cover, yeah. you know? There's a track on the IndyCar circuit that in the last few years has had a lot of really bad things happen. And you seem to see two things on social media all the time. It's either group A saying it's too dangerous. We should stop going here. It's terrible that we're going here every year. Why don't we learn? And then you see another contingent of people going, it's just coincidental. It just happens to be that this was the one place where these things keep happening. Do you have any sympathy for a track like that? That seems to be caught in that. Well, yes. And let me also point this out is a lot of times I think it's unfair that the track is the one that always is the guilty party, okay? Nobody ever talks about the series. Nobody ever talks about the drivers. It's always, this person died at VIR. It's not that 
this person decided to run this person off the road and put him into a wall. Or this person came down on this person in a really stupid move and caused a 14-car pileup. And this person flipped uncontrollably into a fence. Nobody ever really calls out the, the driver that started the accident and says, this person is continually dangerous. Why are we not, um, you know, everywhere we go, it's this person causing this accident. It's always, oh, this track is really dangerous. Sure, there probably are some standards that some tracks have, but again, if, if they're meeting the regulation that the sanctioning body has approved, is that the track's fault? I mean, I don't think so. If people are choosing to race there, if it's exciting, it creates that excitement, you know, this is entertainment. Nobody wants to see people get hurt, but a big crash that everybody walks away from is a great crash in my mind. If we get it to where everybody's wrapped in bubble wrap and everybody gets a trophy at the end, I mean, I, I, I think NASCAR. <laughs> I, I think, no, I'm, l- let me Sorry. say, no. Well, let me, let me say NASCAR used to have a lot of bad boy personalities, yeah. okay? I feel part of their fan base may be missing the fact that they had that, hero that bad boy that that person that they could just sit there and say you know that's my man you know and you know I I like the way that he doesn't care and you know what he chews the same tobacco I does he drives a tractor and you know William Byron William Byron that's what I was gonna say damn it (laughs) sorry Exalta that's what I choose (laughs) because of William Byron I it's literally late. was thinking of William Byron the whole time. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, you there's were saying no... great things, and we're like, no, no, we make this a dumb but joke. It, but it's true. I, we, we, here's yeah. a real story. We were editing the episode, and wanted like 20 things changed on it, and all the None things they wanted to change yeah. were not bad. Yeah. And they actually made him more of a regular person, which is that if you're trying to relate to your fan base. But do you understand but, what I'm saying, though? Yeah. It's always the track's fault. Right. Yeah. Okay. When it could just be Ricky Stenhouse's fault. Or, yes. Or Wait, it could why, be. What did he? He wrecks everyone. Every track. Oh, Stenhouse. Oh, my Stenhouse. God. It is late. I, I yeah. heard Carmichael. Yeah, it's Ricky Carmichael. <laughs> like, that like, son of is, a bitch. What did he do? Oh, wow. It's late. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. But, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, you're okay. absolutely right. Because everyone's like, you know, Texas Motor Speedway and the Indy cars and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, but. Scott Dixon knows what he's up against, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to race to Texas this weekend. So when it goes wrong, it's not the track's fault. You let Takuma Sato get near you. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's going to happen. But so, like, people build these street courses. Right. Okay? And then they're like, God, they crashed into the walls. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. I mean, so, I I mean, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, "Or, or this road is so uneven, and it's so bumpy, it's so violent. Well, have you driven on any road on the, right, you know around right. anywhere? Yeah. I mean, they, you're also you're you're more angry than I've seen you. Uh, <laughs> but I actually, but but here's why. No, no, but here's why I think so. Because you actually put based on what we've observed, you put a lot of attention into moving a barrier or looking at yeah. the glancing angle and going, ooh, if we could make this a little softer. And it's still going to have, something's still going to happen one Absolutely. day. Absolutely. And you're not going to be able to prevent it. So I think you take it specifically to heart simply because you do make a very proactive effort. It's not all yeah. reactionary. And I don't have any problems saying that and making it sound like a puff piece because it's real. 
so when somebody then just spouts off on Twitter or a journalist or whatever saying this is terrible, it's, it, it's, it's got a very personal effect on you. So one thing that I do on a regular basis is there are so many Twitter conversations that I want to get involved in. And I will type my response and I'll erase it. And God willing, I don't press send one day because there are so many things that people are getting involved in and speaking about and saying, and I think everybody needs to take a deep breath and think about eternity of, uh, you know, a, a vocal eternity that's going to be on that piece because something's going to come out of it. Um, and there are more than just, there's more than two sides to each one of these stories and stuff that's happening at the track. And I know we have so much more exposure with it. I know people are having so much more video and documentation, but, and, and even, you know, drivers are sharing more than they had or letting their emotions go with some of the feuds that you see out there. But I just think it's a shame when people instantly go to, it's the track. Um, because there are tracks that, you know, some of these tracks that are out there with the F, uh, with um, IndyCar or any of these other things, they don't have to have an FAA license. They don't have to have any license. They just have to, the, the sanctioning body has to come in and just say, you know, we accept this track as it is and let's go. I mean, so I think when some people call on the sanctioning bodies to look at this, it's unfortunate because we're slowly dumbing down our sport that each time somebody gets out there and has this, humanitarian effort that they go to that's saying, you know, oh, we, we need to stop these crashes. Well, it's going to get to a point to where does somebody just want to see, you know, uh, uh, cars going around nonstop all the time in a train and nothing happening? Yeah, yeah once the risk is removed from it, it's not going to be well, so exciting me, anymore. Yeah, so let me, let me cut you off here. And, and again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you on the sound bites here at 10 at night. So modern track safety has created a new problem that did not exist five years ago, and that's track limits. We hear more conversation about track limits in the last two or three years in all forms of road racing than we'd ever heard about prior. VIR has got a few corners now where this has become an issue, um, and it's only going to get worse at all road courses the, can, the, the more we pave every aspect of it for what we argue is safety. Where do you see that line with a track like VIR, which has such pretty landscape and grass and all these things that we love to take photos of, and yet more and more circuits getting paved everywhere? Well, I find more people complaining about areas that I don't consider part of the track. Okay? So people will come to me and say, you need to smooth that out. And I'll say natural terrain road course. You know? It's... Um, yes, there are some areas that we maintain and we need to maintain that people step out on, but I consider where we paint the white lines and where there's asphalt, if you're racing outside of that or stepping outside of that, sure, I'm sure people get pushed off, but you know, let's look at a, a, a Mazda Miata race. People will race anywhere they can around the track if they, as long as they don't have to lose momentum. Okay. Um, I don't think our areas that we created caused that much of a problem. Once they kind of established that your car could be over this far, you know, it was easy. Okay. It was good. People raced within it. You don't hear track limit issues with VIR that often, but you do hear of people who complain about either too much grass in the radiator. Like 
they kind of call it the VIR stop and go. You know, people get out on trash, uh, on track, slam on their brakes, hopefully get all the grass out of their radiator and continue on. Don't think there's anywhere else that they really do that at. I mean, that's... Well, you say, you argue that what's between the white lines is, is the track, which most people argue is true, but that's where the whole track limits problem comes from, is that for a lot of racetracks, what's beyond that white line still is paved, therefore people can run on it. Um, VIR does have a couple of these corners that, that are this way, and you do have sanctioning bodies that have had controversies over this because one guy says he wasn't over the line and another guy says he was, and then all of a sudden now we're debating a penalty on this concept as opposed to just watching racing the way it should be. Um, but my, where I'm going with this is I believe it's only going to get worse because there seems to be no solution to the idea that paving everything is the safest way to go. Um, it comes at a cost of aesthetics and it comes at the cost of this concept of track limits. Um, but I don't know if you agree or if you see this becoming a, uh, an increasing problem for VIR. I see it's a, an increasing request yeah. that people, uh, you know, want to bring up all the time that, um, hey, you know, if you pave this over here, this would really help. And sure, I see a lot of what they say um, a couple times with it, but it also is... It removes consequence. It, it installs um, some kind of stability that, you know what, I can screw up and I can push it as hard as I want and I get a reset button. And I'm not saying I want somebody to get hurt. I'm not saying I like the people that have talent and that push that edge and go to it. And when they screw up, man, you know that they took it as far as they possibly could instead of the same guy spinning all the time in the same spot doing the same thing it's like all right well he gets to be back out there again with everybody and but and you don't have to define what it is but do you have a line where you say no we're not gonna do it. so let's say indycar would come here but you're gonna have to pave every part of the oak tree so entrance per perfect example okay. okay so we had um we had the fim which is like the fia but for motorcycles so we had them come here um they, they came and did a two-day audit of our track, and we were trying to decide if we were going to go all in as a motorcycle track or not. And the changes that they wanted us to make were so drastic. And to me, I didn't understand it because I felt like they were pushing the fan farther and farther away. So I'm like, okay, we're trying to bring the fans into the sport. I feel like you're pushing them farther away with what you're doing. And maybe the TV is great there, but this, you're now recreating VIR to where we would call it something else besides VIR. We're out. I'm sorry. Thanks so much. Um, it was really good talking to you about it. Great to consider, you know. Uh, and it went away. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. So you do so, have a line. So I sat there and made the decision, you know, we are going to maintain VIR and maybe VIR is the right track for you and maybe it's not. There's a sound bite for you. <laughs> and that's the show. That's it's just you end. talking. It's just at the end. That's the last thing you All right. Uh, Ryan and I were driving around the track earlier, and we saw these random yellow signs hidden behind trees and behind a few shacks. That, that had uh, numbers with them and say yeah. O'Gara on them. What is that? They were just uh, what the uh, military uses for loca uh, locating stuff working with satellites and different 
uh, mapping. Okay, you say that training. in a passive way, like, <laughs> duh. You know, like, what, the normal no, yeah. thing where Navy SEALs are in so, your woods. Yeah. What, so, yeah. It's kind of like, it's it was a leading like, question to say, talk about the SEALs. It's, it's, <laughs> it's geocaching. It, it's geocaching for the military. So it's just something how they could use map reading with satellites to pinpoint different areas on So property. you're really saying, <laughs> Kerrigan, that SEALs come here and train? So <laughs> we are saying, yes, we are honored to have some very special forces people that come here and train at our facilities on a um, are you much more regular seal? basis. Are you not allowed to say SEAL? It's not just SEALs, though. No. I don't want to just sit there and say that because SEALs are unbelievable. They are. But I feel Hollywood has really built up SEALs to be like everything. There are people that are taking the exact same bullet as those SEALs are that are special forces and that are out there doing just as impressive things and have gone through some of the same yeah, let's training. go back a step. Um, <laughs> so you're saying with those yellow signs, Kerrigan, that you do special... We do have special forces that come here and train. We do not train regular military. It is usually, um, you know, specific special forces or clandestine services. And so these little markers are, are geo... It's, it's geocaching for the military. So on any given night, we could be walking around here and there's random special ops guys walking around. So, um, Cause generally amazing. not, generally yeah. not speaking, you know, they they, they don't do a whole lot of shooting at night, but <laughs> a whole what, lot. what you could you hear, didn't just, you didn't sell us, right? But, but what you could hear and sometimes that, you know, we'll once in a while, we, we've learned to start letting people know this will happen. You'll start getting um, complaints that there are a whole bunch of tires squealing around the track at night. Yeah. And, um, they're doing driving with nods with, uh, night vision goggles. Wait. So, <laughs> so randomly I could wake up, I could wake up tonight at midnight. No, you're not going to hear it tonight, but randomly, so randomly. <laughs> I, I specifically said, this is not time specific. So yes. let's say it's a Tuesday of next week. And you could, at 10 o'clock at night, you would hear a whole bunch of cars squealing, going around the track. And it's not a bunch of teenagers. And it would be a bunch of Crown Vicks with a bunch of guys with green eyes. <laughs> and they're literally just head, headlights off, completely Oh, everything track, completely off. Everything and completely off. driving around with night vision. Because the depth perception and everything that they have to deal with, with the, and Special Forces has moved more into, it used to be make as much noise and come in and crash bang, and they've gone into more of a stealth thing to where we want to kill you while you're sleeping. So That's I, a sound bite. What I like was the stare. That <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nighttime, it, it's a nighttime thing, so, uh, you know, and a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are working, even in our tactical facilities we have down there, they black out the rooms mm -hmm. because a lot of it is, um, working in, in, yeah. in the dark. Are they also on foot at night on the property because there's a lot of woods and stuff or why would those, why would those, uh, yellow signs be out there? Um, a lot of times that, that is them moving around, but it's not, uh, they're, they're not running around with, uh, night vision goggles and scopes looking okay. for right. you pissing right. in the woods. All right. That's kind of what really I really hope. Yeah. That I was like, like every now and then they snatch a yeah, fan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, we're like going to our room and there's tracers going so, by. That was my dream. What? Funny story of when I kind of first started, there you can was never follow a story that mentions tracers <laughs> with, funny, with story. funny story, by the way. Well, I can actually. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, we had a, we had a very big operation that was here on property. That's not with us anymore. That was a training group. And, um, 
I got a call that there was a car parked up outside the gate with uh, two guys sitting in it, and there looked to be a whole bunch of wires coming out of the back of the car. And I was like, um, great. Has anybody talked to him? We're not going to talk to him. I was like, this is kind of, I guess, this is where I step in and I say. I guess this is me now. <laughs> I'll, I'll take one for the team. <laughs> yeah, right. So I came up and said, where's the car? And they're like, oh, it's right over there. And I was right at the entry of the uh, BMTP. And I walk over and there's two young kids and, you know, they're on cell phones. Yeah. And um, there were a whole bunch of big batteries in the back of the car with a whole bunch of wires coming off of them. Okay. And I'm like, oh my God. And all of a sudden I realize that there was a whole bunch of the military guys all moving through the woods very quickly and surrounding the location of where I'm walking out to. And I was like, two things are happening here. I'm either blowing up the second I come over and talk to this car, or I'm just going to get shot because they're just leveling everybody and they're going to figure this out later. So those are the two things that I'm walking into this. And I walk up to these kids and I say, what are you doing here? And they're like, we're on assignment from our teacher. What's your assignment? And they're like, we're checking out all the different cell phone carriers in the area. So we've got all these cell phones plugged in and totally innocent and everything fine. But I was like, I was like, do you know how bad this looks? Do you understand that this looks really, really bad? Do you know what goes on here? Right, you right. Know? In this country? <laughs> These Completely. poor kids had no idea. That there no was like idea. And they'd been driving around. Ops. They'd yeah. been driving around property and they'd been, they were writing down, you know, where this happened. And so they were gritting out things on. Did they know they're in Southern Virginia? Or, or just the United States? <laughs> <laughs> like, so there was just. There, there was just, there, no, there, there, there was, there was nothing. And, you know, finally we get in touch with the teacher and he vouched for him. But I, th these guys went into such a high alert mode. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And I was just like. From the kids with cell phones and batteries coming up the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, I'm, I'm. I'm a statistic. Here, yeah, here yeah, I go. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll clean him up later. What were these guys doing? <laughs> wow. All right. Well, that took a turn. Wow. That's, All right, that's, that's your real. only thing in the, in the whole show. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, so a lot of people who tuned into this episode either barely knew of VIR or haven't visited or just never knew what it was to begin with. What you guys have been nice enough to let us into your home. And mm -hmm. uh, what did you, what do you want people to take away from this? I want, I want people to take away that VIR is, um, up and coming. I mean, it, you can't ignore it anymore. I mean, it is an exciting place to race. It, it is, is an exciting place to visit. It's the complete package. I mean, it really is. Um, I love that, um, you know, I love that the pros want to be here as much as the amateurs want to be here. That really, that really sings to me. You know, we, we have people that are saying, why aren't we racing there? You know, I get that a lot. Why are we not racing there? Why haven't people figured this out yet? Just pay attention. I promise you, we're not going to disappoint in a couple of years. We're at the tipping point. I'm finished. Heartbeats only happen. One at a time, one at a 
time You can't rush a moment So don't even try Don't even try There's a symphony you're missing If you only listen you'll find Big magic in the mundane The big picture in a small frame Everything is sacred when you take time to You're after, so don't even try. 